Welcome, everybody. It is Friday. You know it means that's time to get in the cage here on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino. It's a pleasure to bring back to the program a man I've had some great conversations with. He's a great writer, covers the sport of MMA and boxing, does a great job of it, and an author, by the way. He's got a book out, uh, Ali versus Inoki, a great book, a great read. If you haven't checked that out, you should. I'm talking about author and just all-around good dude, Josh Gross is here. Josh, how are you, man? I'm doing well, Bob. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I want to get into a few different things with you, but it feels like over the past couple of weeks, I've I've had different writers and different analysts on talking about some of the same things because there seems to be you know little developments to each story, and that's one of them being John Jones. You know, he's he's he wanted to fight Francis Ngannou, and and he you know according to Dana wanted Deontay Wilder money, and John says that's nonsense, and they had a very public back and forth, and now the latest. From John on the, you know, doing a podcast with Steve-O, basically saying, yeah, maybe I'm out for a couple of years. I'm not going to fight again until I get paid what I feel like I'm worth. Is that is that posturing, in your opinion? Do you, do you see a guy that's that's ready to take the prime of his career, and maybe he could be even a step past it, and, and really put that into the dumper and say, well, so much for that. I'm not, I'm not going to do it because financially it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends on how you look at posturing, but he's he's absolutely making a, a play here. Um, this is this is out of character for Jones. Um, I, I think with Jones, this is a calculated play. Um, you know, how much of it is is serious? Does he all of a sudden leading the charge? Uh, is he the face of the movement that's trying to get fighters organized? And um, you know, there's there's things that play in Washington D.C. like the Muhammad Ali Boxing Reform Act. Uh, to have Jones, a fighter of his caliber, sort of at the top of that spearheaded, is something that people have always said would be a major moment. So he's maybe he sees himself that way. He's talking about himself in those terms. Um, and I, I, it really depends what, what comes of it. In, in all sports where there's been organization of athletes, it's taken one voice, one prominent member generally to step out in front of it. And you have others. Jones isn't the only one. You have George Mosvidal. Uh, who is a, a star in the UFC talking about money and seems like a lot of others have done it. Conor McGregor retired, uh, whatever you make of that. It's certainly a money issue on and on and on. But, uh, you know, Jones is definitely getting in front of this and it's interesting to watch. It's, it's out of his character. Uh, how much of it we should take seriously. I don't know, but for it to mean anything, Bob, he has to take concrete steps. It can't. It has. It has to be much more than simply stating on social media, "Hey, I'm going to sit out for a little bit." Uh, any kind of organization takes real work and intention. And I think for him to get anything out of this, he has to treat it like a championship fight. That kind of energy, because that's how dangerous uh, it is for his career to step away for this long. And that's how serious it is. The UFC is a formidable foe when it comes to uh, athletes and and you know what it says in a contract and what they can and can't do. So he's he's asking a lot here. Well, and, and two things on Jones, then we'll move on. A, do you think he's doing it for everybody, for the betterment of the entire sport and the young guys, as he says? Because on the surface, and I'm a Jones fan, and I root for the guy, but at the same time, on the surface, as I've heard him talk about this, it seems like it's it's just more about him, which is fine. But I, I don't really see what he's doing to champion the cause of those that are on the, you know, on the back end of the card who are on the prelims and getting, you know, peanuts to go out there and risk their life, essentially. I don't I don't really understand what he's doing that that benefits them specifically. And B, I said, you know, maybe he's where do you think he's at in his career? Is he is he in his prime? Do you feel like he's maybe just a touch past it? Where do where do you see him? Um, I'll answer the second part first. I I, I do think there's a lot of great uh, fights left in John Jones. 
Uh, you know, he has been someone who's been inactive for long stretches over what would have been the prime of his career. So it's not like he's taken a ton of damage. He's been in some wars. Uh, I think uh, Jones is smarter than he's ever been in terms of game planning and executing. He's never been better. Um, but, uh, you know, he's not maybe the marauding killer that we saw him like in 2011, right? That that version of John Jones, uh, that unabated terror, I don't think exists anymore uh, because, just because he's just not willing to go there. So I, I think on any given fight, John Jones is probably the favorite over most pe- people walking this planet. Um, and, and that gives him leverage. Now, what kind of leverage does it give him? What does it mean in terms of his messaging on all of this? I think he has to be clear of his intentions. Uh, there is, though, the fact of if he is, as what Dana White calls him, the pound-for-pound greatest fighter in the sport, there has to be some leverage in there for that. And for him to, to step uh, into this fight, I think, says something. And there's the idea of, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So if Jones makes out, if he pushes for these causes, it'll raise awareness, maybe enough to change something. And, and that way it would affect the rest of the, the fighters in the UFC and, and, and perhaps outside the UFC as well. I mean, it's too early to say all that. All right. Well, let me let me ask you about uh, some fights that are actually going to be happening here. UFC 251. I'll get to the card coming up this weekend in a moment. But uh, it was interesting to read that Kamaru Usman has uh, changed camps sort of right before this fight. What do you look at that as problematic? Do you look at that as is a good move for him? Obviously, he and Burns are very familiar. They've worked out together for years and, you know, it makes sense. But I guess the timing of it is interesting. What do you think? Well, it's got to be now, right? I mean, uh, they share trainers, Henry Hooft, um, down in Florida, and, and he's stepped away from this fight. Henry Hooft says, you know, I'm, I'm not working with either guy for this fight. So it wouldn't have been a typical training camp for, for Usman. Usman also went to Denver where he's going to train for this fight to help Justin Gaethje prepare uh, in April and then in, in May for, uh, yeah, for, for Tony Ferguson. Uh, so I, I think this is something he's a calculated, smart fighter, Kamar Usman. I don't think he's going to do anything that feels like it'll take away from his ability to prepare or, or be at his best. And I, I think, uh, he's probably earned that respect for people to say, okay, he knows what he's doing and, you know, we'll see how he shows up, but uh, I, I expect it to be a great fight. How, how do you size that one up? I mean, Burns is just on a tear right now. They, they, probably couldn't be more familiar with each other than, you know, with, with the training history between the two of them and sparring together. So there, there is that there, the idea that one might surprise the other doesn't seem realistic. So going into a fight with that sort of knowledge, how do, how do you see that one playing out? Yeah, real uh, close to the vest. Uh, these guys know each other, no question about it. You know, Gilbert Burns has turned into um, uh, an aggressive fighter, someone who has felt like, hey, my power – I trust my power now, and if you want to come grapple with me, that's fine. I'm a world champion in jiu-jitsu. Um, Kamar Usman, I think, is going to be welcoming of that kind of test. Uh, he has no problem going power for power with anybody in that weight class. Um, I, I think, you know, I don't know that he wants to slug it out with a Gilbert Burns, really, and that's pretty wild to say considering uh, how much uh, Gilbert's changed his striking and improved there. Um, but he can outstrike Gilbert Burns. He can outbox him. We saw him hurt Colby Covington. He's capable of doing that. And the wrestling and the grinding is really the thing. I, I expect Usman to fight a grinding kind of fight that he fought against Tyron Woodley. Really kind of wear on uh, Burns, slow Burns down. Doesn't make uh, make Burns less aggressive and explosive. And, and Usman, you know, winning on points or winning late. That that would be my prediction. 
Okay, and then we've got a fight night coming up this weekend. Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker. Uh, Poirier was a guy who was just on a tear, and he was, you know, he's taking out Alvarez and Gagey, and he, you know, it was kind of a who's who in terms of names. And then he ran into Khabib Nurmagomedov, and he he gets submitted in the third round. This will be his first fight since then. What, how how do you see Poirier? Does he look like a guy who can re, sort of regain the momentum he had going into the Nurmagomedov fight? Where where do you see Poirier right now? I think he can absolutely do that. Um, he is look when you fight Khabib Nurmagomedov, your game plan, your style of fighting kind of goes out the window because you're being dictated to constantly. And I think the fight against Dan Hooker is an entirely different kind of style fight. Hooker's going to want to engage on the feet. He's actually longer than uh, Poirier. Um, but, you know, Dustin is, is really sharp with his combination work, and, and he's an accurate puncher and striker. So th- this sets up as a totally different fight. I, I expect it to be highly competitive, very intriguing for however long it lasts. Uh, a lot of people favor Dustin here, and I think it's more name recognition. I mean, Hooker's been on a tremendous rise. He does have the size over Poirier. He's longer than Poirier, and he doesn't mind standing in there to take a couple, to throw a couple. And, and if he lands, he's very dangerous. I I, it's a hard fight to call because Dustin is uh, such a professional and, um, he, you know, this is a good kind of style fight for him, but, but Hooker's just been look, just looked very dangerous. And I, I think that danger will translate over the course of the fight and he'll find a way to win. Um, but it, it, this is a pay-per-view quality fight on, on ESPN. I think people should understand that this, this is a hell of a fight in light, lightweight division. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. We're speaking with Josh Gross here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Fight night coming up this weekend for the UFC. Uh, fight on this card features a guy that I think is he's interesting. You, you, you don't know what he's going to say. You don't know he's going into this fight apparently without any any sort of real corner. Mike Perry. I, I watch Mike. I'm sort of entertained by him, but he's a guy who's lost three of his, his last four fights. He, he feels like a ham and egger to me, uh, in, with all due respect. Where are you at with Mike Perry? Do you think he's a legitimate welterweight who can contend for a title, or is he a guy that just can be entertaining and says some goofy things and does have power, and if he connects, yeah, he can certainly make things interesting. But overall, where are you at with Mike Perry? Yeah, I think I think he nailed it. Um, he is just a, an aggressive guy who's going to throw down, uh, doesn't care win or lose. It's kind of in the old-school Tank Abbott mode, right? You just come throw down, <laughs> uh, whatever happens, happens. I, I don't see him as smart enough to contend for a title in this weight class. I mean, I couldn't imagine him fighting someone the likes of a Kamar Usman, quite honestly. I think he'd be embarrassed. So, um, you know, he's a guy that I think because of the brashness, the things he says – he creates storylines. He does silly things like not having anybody in his corner, but his uh, new girlfriend, who really isn't any kind of fighter or anything. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting for people. I did a poll on Twitter just for the hell of it. I was wondering, you know, do you care about Mike Perry? Uh, and out of the thousand or so people who responded, it was seventy five percent said no. So mm-hmm. I, I think winning winning and looking like a contender means a lot. Uh, and and Perry hasn't done that. I, you know, people have compared him to a Phil Baroni, and I, I think I think there's some truth to that as well. There's the, there's space for these characters in the sport, um, as controversial as they can be sometimes, uh, considering what he said. Hey, last one before I ask you again about your book here. Uh, you, you brought up Colby Covington. He, you speak of brashness and just you know upsetting people. That's his goal. He wants to be as abrasive as possible. I haven't heard much from him. Obviously, he's switching teams. What, what, what do you 
What do you think he should be doing? Is is there a fight out there that you think makes sense for him? Uh, we haven't seen him since the Usman fight, and he, of course, you know, complained about the stoppage, even though he was getting tuned up. But where, where do you see the where, what's the future for Colby Covington at this point? Oh, I, I think he'll stop being quiet at some point here. He'll let this Burns Usman fight play out. He knows he's not next, so uh, he did change camps. Um, you're seeing now some of this transition from he went to a new manager as well. So uh, a bit of a period where he has to figure out what the steps forward are. I, I like a fight against Tyrone Woodley. I think, um, you know, we've we've seen Woodley take a step back. Um, th- th- this fight against Colby Covington, lots of the hard feelings between them. Uh, this this fight makes sense to me that, you know, considering that Covington lost his last one as well. Uh, and, and so th- they should do that. Th- I, th- I think that fight would draw a lot of attention for people. All right, and then last one before I let you go. It's the uh, 44th anniversary of the match, uh, I believe it was yesterday, between Ali and Antonio Inoki. You wrote a book about this event. For people that aren't aware of what this event was, what happened between these two, just give us a quick uh, quick synopsis. Sure. Um, and Muhammad Ali in, in 1976 uh, agreed to take a mixed rules fight, not a boxing fight, a mixed rules fight uh, against a very famous Japanese a professional wrestler named Antonio Inoki, kind of an icon in Japan, really. And for these two people to clash at that time, these worlds to collide, you know, it was like one of the early moments of big, big bucks involved with a mixed rules fight. And we'd seen it, uh, you know, Jack Dempsey, and, and back in the 1920s, there was a lot of talk about boxer versus wrestler. But this was in that mold. This event had a uh, really was a flop, and it was one of the first uh, and few moments in Ali's career where someone could say, oh, that was a total flop. But looking back on it more than 40 years later now, there is a lot of legacy, an important legacy in this contest. I think in a lot of ways it shaped what the modern mixed martial arts world looks like, uh, definitely influenced Japanese mixed martial arts, and that was such a key part of the growth of the sport in the early 2000s. And, um, you know, you have these larger-than-life characters, Muhammad Ali in a mixed-rules fight. He, he, had never, he, he never knocked anyone down after this fight. His legs were shot because he took a lot of leg kicks. It was not a pretty moment in his career. This was three months after the thrill in Manila, you know, so he's a global superstar. Um, but it's it, it just a, a really interesting key moment in, in this sport. Well, the book is called Ali versus Inoki, the forgotten fight that inspired mixed martial arts and launched sports entertainment. You can check it out wherever books are sold, Amazon.com, everywhere else. And the author, Josh Gross, has been our guest. Josh, always good to talk to you, man. Really appreciate you cutting out time as always. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Anytime, Bob. Thank you. Stay safe.